Hey guys, welcome back to That Canadian Podcast. I'm your host and that Canadian, Sam. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about near-death experiences, but not just any regular near-death experiences where people almost fall off a cliff or get in a car accident. Nay, nay. Today, we're talking about how people escaped almost certain death at the hands of others. Each of these stories can make the hairs on the back of your neck stand on edge while you get goosies all down your arms. Okay, dramatic, I know, but hear me out. Many, if not all of them, feature nothing but pure badassery, okay? So, without further ado, let's get started with the content warning and then jump into the episode. Warning. Today's episode contains topics surrounding sexual assault, domestic violence, and other possible triggering topics. Listener discretion is advised. Story 1 is posted by Oddman80. I was coming home from a bachelor's party at 2am, and on the way home, I realized that we had forgotten the steak dinner portion of the evening that we had all planned. I didn't want to wake up my wife and baby drunkenly rummaging around the kitchen, so I had the taxi drop me off at the Dunkin' Donuts a half mile from the house. This was pre-Uber times. I got myself a couple egg and cheese bagels and started walking home. Now, I made sure to take the quieter neighborhood street, rather than the busier street, in order to make sure to avoid potential drunk drivers. However, about a block into the neighborhood, I see a pair of dudes coming my way down the sidewalk. I consider crossing the street, but realize how insulting that would be to the two men, clearly just walking home from an evening of fun, just like me. When they're a few feet away, I give them a, how you doing, nod, and they return it with their own. I was so proud of my decision to treat them like fellow bros and not be so suspicious. Then, as they walk past me, one of them pulls his hand up in the air, holding a tire iron, and strikes me in the back of the head, hard. I fall into the street from the impact, but remain conscious. One holds my arms down while the other one climbs on my legs and starts rifling through my pockets. I tell them to take what they want and they tell me to shut up or they will kill me. They ask me where my wallet is and when I tell them which pocket it's in, they tell me to shut up or they will kill me. They took my wallet, phone and watch and then kicked me a few more times in the head but then took off. I was bleeding and super concussed and without a phone at 2.30 a.m. there was no way I could make it home on my own. I saw a house nearby where the flickering light of a TV could be seen in an upstairs bedroom. I crawled over to the house and pulled myself up onto the porch and leaned up against the door, knocked, and hollered for help. The homeowner was rightfully scared and didn't want to open the door at that hour for a stranger who wouldn't even stand up to be seen through his front door viewfinder. I was feeling very faint at this point and was covered in blood from the head wound, but convinced him to call 911 and get an ambulance. I also asked if he could call my wife. At that point, he seemed to feel more confident that I was not trying to trick him, and he offered me a cordless phone through the chain door. He said he wanted to help, but I needed to stay out on the porch because he had just redone his floors and I was bleeding way too much. When the EMTs arrived, they decided they should take me to the better hospital instead of the one that was a few blocks away, but the route to the other hospital required several blocks of driving on cobblestones an experience I would not recommend to any concussed individuals strapped to a gurney in the back of an ambulance. I needed 24 staples in my head, 
and all the doctors told me I was lucky to have survived such a massive blow to the head with a blunt object. But the sad part? I never actually got my egg and cheese bagels. Story 2 is submitted by Maybe Pants. When I was young, maybe four or five years old, my family lived in a small town of about 1,200 people. It was mostly a farming town. My dad was the manager of the only bank in town, and a farmer missed some payments on a loan, so the bank foreclosed and took his farm. This farmer apparently blamed my father personally, so he went to the bank with a rifle and threatened my father. My father talked to him, the cops were called, and the farmer was arrested and arraigned. Bail was posted for the farmer, so he was released from jail. A few days later, my family was eating dinner and we heard a truck pull up and park in front of our house. It was a really quiet street in a small town, so my father went to the front door to see who pulled up. It was the farmer, and this time he had a shotgun. He walked right up to the front door and knocked. Meanwhile, my family busted ass out the back door and ran to a neighbor's house. Our front door was unlocked, so he could have opened it and blasted us all but I guess he didn't think to check it. Cops were called again, and the farmer was arrested. My family spent the next week or so in a hotel a few towns away until it was assured that the farmer would be in jail without the possibility of bail. Story 3 was posted by This Is A Throwaway, Okay? When I was 11, I was meeting my friend on a bridge in town, and when I got there, there were these two 19, 20-year-old guys who were there to mug me. Pretty sure my friend had set me up as some kind of initiation or something. Anyway, things got incredibly weird when I didn't have anything that they wanted, and one of them just kind of flipped out and got very aggressive. I was put in a headlock and pulled to the side of the bridge and told that if I cried or made any other indication that I was scared, he would throw me off. Some kind of be a man nonsense. I was terrified. So of course I teared up, and as he was pushing me into the barrier, my friend, who had been silent the whole time, screamed like a proper scream and shouted at me to run. The scream had distracted them for a second, so I pulled out of the guy's grip and ran. My friend and I split directions, and they gave chase to me instead of him. But luckily for me, there was a police car at the bottom of the stairs next to the bridge. In it were two cops having their lunch break. I bundled straight into the back of the police car, and when I looked up, the two guys were now running in the other direction. I think the intention was to really scare the crap out of me rather than anything more to seriously hurt me, but to me, 11 at the time, it felt very real. Safe to say, I never spoke to that friend again. <laughs> Story 4 is posted by Large Peepee -pee Guy. When I was about 10, my grandfather was dying from complications of his heart issues and mental deterioration. I didn't know him very well, as the last time we had been in contact with him was when I was a baby. My father never liked him and didn't bother coming with mom and I to visit him in the hospital. When we got there, he was resting peacefully, and my mother went forward and whispered some words to him. I hang back a little because the creepy old guy whom I don't recall seeing in my whole life really freaked me out. Regardless of my anxiety, my mom said I should approach Grandpa and share some nice words with him. I understood by how sad my mother was that I shouldn't argue too much, so I approached his hospital bed to speak to him. He didn't seem conscious at all, so I just did what my mother did, leaning forward and just whisper some nice things to him. 
Things took a turn when, mid-sentence, his eyes flare open and he stares at me, making me stop what I'm saying. My heart dropped into my ass when he looked at me because it was pure hatred in his eyes. As soon as we made eye contact, he bolted upright from his bed and wrapped his hands around my neck and started throttling me as hard as he could. I barely even remember what happened, but my mom was screaming for a nurse, and Grandpa kept yelling at me while shaking my neck violently. Fucking betrayal! You fucking betrayed me! And then, he died. Almost as fast as it began, it was over. His grip loosened, and he flatlined. My mother was inconsolable, and I was extremely confused and crying out of the sheer trauma of the situation. Later, after we managed to calm down, a nurse explained to my mother that his severe dementia had left him barely coherent, and it was likely he had thought I was someone else. I didn't learn this until several years later, but my mother suspected that my grandfather saw my father in me. My father was an alcoholic womanizer and fairly abusive in my early childhood and my grandfather resented him for it. I guess I look a little too much like my dad. The next story is posted by Char92474. When I was 19, I dated a girl whose dad was a psycho. He was probably just over five feet tall, but all muscle. Did a bunch of time in prison for drugs and violent crimes. Once, a guy had cut him off in traffic. He followed the guy and finally boxed him in tore open his car door and held a knife to the guy's crotch, threatening to cut his dick off until the guy wet himself. Me and her lived together in an apartment. I worked afternoons, she worked days. There was a couple of hours in the afternoon when no one was there. I had a day off, but one day was running some errands. Came home in that time frame when no one was normally home, and her father came walking out of our bedroom. I asked him what he was doing there, and he told me because he liked me, he would be honest. He said he was there to rob us. He was on drugs and was in the middle of a crime spree. He held up a bunch of people in the complex who were entering or exiting the building. Then he came through our bedroom window. He said he looked around and didn't find anything, so he was on his way out. He said he wouldn't hurt me, but if I ever told anyone this happened, including his daughter, I would disappear and no one would ever find me and then he just walked out. The whole time he was talking to me, all I could think of was, don't give him a reason to attack me, and that I had a coffee cup in the living room with almost a thousand dollars in it. Thankfully, he didn't find it. I thankfully never saw him again. My relationship was on the rocks, and this gave me the needed push to get out of there. I never told anyone what happened until after he died. Edit. Just thought of another situation where he could have killed me and also demonstrates how crazy he was. He went on a hunting trip, and while he was gone, I came over one day after she got home from school. She was a senior in high school then. Her mom was at work, and we just sat around on the couch for a couple of hours. No exaggeration, three hours after we got home, he comes walking out of the front coat closet. He tells us he wanted to see what we would do if we thought he was out of town, so he came home early and waited in the closet for a few hours, peeping on us to see what we would do. Once he felt nothing was going to happen, he came out. I can't imagine what he would have done if we started fooling around. Story 6 is submitted by Grievous00. I was a clerk at an appliance repair shop. Some guy had brought his riding lawnmower in to be worked on, but decided it cost too much to have repaired, 
so my boss had asked me to load it up onto our lift truck and drive it to his address. I was 17 and had my relatively newly minted license on me, so it felt like a big responsibility and I was happy to do it. I loaded it up just fine and drove to his address. When I started to unload it, I noticed that the battery was unattached. One of the technicians must have removed it to work on it or something. Unfortunately, I had no tools to put it back in. I checked the work order and it said, customer declined repair, needs replacement engine. So I thought, whew, he won't care because the engine is dead anyway. I rang the doorbell and this fat drunk guy with no shirt opens the door suddenly. I had lowered the riding lawnmower off the lift truck and had pushed it into his yard. He yells, what the hell are you leaving that pile of junk in my yard for? I said, is this not your riding lawnmower? He says, hell yeah, it's mine, but it's in pieces and I don't want the damn thing. What the fuck is wrong with you people? So I apologized and asked him if he wanted me to load it back up. I didn't know what else to say. For some unknown reason, this pissed him off even more and he disappeared back into his house. I got back into the truck to radio my boss, this was back in the days before cell phones, to see what he wanted me to do. In the meantime, that drunk bastard stomps out onto his porch with a shotgun, leveled it at the truck, and pulled the trigger. The windshield shattered, and I literally couldn't hear anything but ringing from the noise. I jumped in the truck, started it up, put it into reverse, and floored it out of his driveway, almost going into the ditch on the other side of the road. He fires it again, this time hitting the passenger side of the truck near the door, blowing shrapnel into the cab of the truck which hit my leg and cut me a bit. I flew back to work faster than I had ever driven before, called my mom and dad, and told my boss I was never coming back to work there again. The cops came and took my statement, arrested the dumbass, and I had to testify against him a few months later, despite desperately never wanting to see him again. He only spent about six months in prison for it, but luckily, by the time things were settled, I had moved away to college and didn't have to worry about him anymore. Story 7 is posted by Keeper of the Cheese. I was a firefighter for 15 years or so. As a rookie, I had responded to a smell of natural gas call. Fairly common call, usually just stand around with the lights flashing until the gas company shows up. To this day, it's still the most gas, volume-wise, I've ever experienced in a residential setting. I could smell gas from the cab of the engine from five blocks out. Anyway, long story short, two of us firefighters and two cops ended up making entry into the residence that the gas appeared to be coming from. We were able to wedge open the basement entry garage doors, old school flip-up style doors. Four of us marched single file into the dark garage to a door in the back corner that led into the basement. The only gear I had on was my boots and bunker pants. Anyway, the amount of gas in the garage was almost overwhelming. The door into the basement had a glass window, and the lead officer was using a flashlight to look around inside as he opened the door. Right as the lead officer was yanking the door open, he spotted someone inside and started yelling. We all rushed in and it was dark and really humid. Crazy amounts of natural gas. I think I was third in line, and only got maybe three steps in before colliding with two officers in front of me who had stopped up short. I remember the lead officer just plainly stated in some kind of defeated tone, He has a lighter. 
definitely one of those moments where three or four seconds feels like an eternity. But, sure enough, in the back corner of this basement, slumped back in a ratty old recliner, was a middle-aged skinny dude with an orange Bic lighter in his hand. And that asshole flicked that thing at least twice while I was looking at it. I assumed he had flicked it once or twice before, which is what caught the officer's attention. Anyway, the four of us just kind of stood there like idiots staring at this dude in his recliner for what felt like forever, waiting for the inevitable explosion. I could remember distinctly wondering how big of a crater was going to be left behind. Obviously nothing happened. Once our fight or flight worked its way out, the four of us collectively kind of bum-rushed the dude. He didn't put up much of a fight, and I was surprised to find him nearly unconscious. We even had to carry him out. The dude had busted open the main gas line feeding his house where it entered the basement. He had left a suicide note and everything. He was completely unconscious for the ride to the hospital. Medics stuck an NPA in, and I had to bag him the entire way. I'm not sure what happened to him, or if he even intended to try and take others with him. I actually think the concentration of gas was too high, above the UEL of natural gas, which I think is around 15%. The basement, or at least the area immediately around the recliner, was essentially flooded with too much fuel and not enough O2 to ignite. I was definitely a little lightheaded after spending what was likely less than a minute in the basement. I learned a lot of valuable lessons that day, and I try to pay it forward. Story 8 is posted by Tony Snark 81 When I was 14, I left home due to physical, emotional, and psychological abuse from my parents. I was placed temporarily into a group rescue home that was meant to be short-term. I was there for six weeks. The normal was two. During that time, I saw a bunch of people come and go. Most of them scared kids like myself. Because I'd been there longer than the standard two weeks, they'd moved me into a small private room in the back of the house. I either stayed in there or sat in the backyard and read books. I tried hard to be quiet and non-threatening and had actually started to make friends with some of the other residents. And then there was Ernesto. He was close to aging out of the system and was in the home as a last-ditch effort to keep him out of jail. He had issues in every foster home he'd been in, and his caseworker was doing her best to keep him sheltered until he could go into the military at 18. For whatever reason, Ernesto was incredibly threatened by me and made his dislike abundantly clear. I was 14, very tall for my age, and borderline malnourished because of my toxic home life. I was absolutely not a threat. A few days before I was due to be placed in a more permanent situation, one of the girls pulled me aside and told me to lock the door when I went to bed. She even suggested I move something in front of the door, just in case. She and one of the other girls had heard Ernesto muttering in Spanish about taking care of me and were worried for me. Turns out, they were right to be. A routine house inspection discovered a large kitchen knife had gone missing. Another search discovered the knife hidden under Ernesto's mattress. When confronted by the house monitors, he freely admitted he'd planned on cutting my throat that night while I slept. The police were called, he was removed in cuffs, and my own placement was moved up to the next day. For obvious reasons, I didn't sleep well that night. <laughs> Story 9 is posted by Cooter Poot. When I was 10 or 11, my sister, who was like 14 or so at the time, started dating. 
which meant my mom forbid it, but would allow them to hang out together at our house under supervision. However, he just got increasingly weird. He'd show up with knives and always had these weird, huge cuts on his body. I mean, from neck to belly button. One time, he said he got into a knife fight. Now, if he did it himself or it was a knife fight, I don't know. But then, my mom banned my sister from seeing him. What we didn't know was that he would keep sneaking into her window at night after that. Nothing ever happened, but years down the road, my sister got married and moved two states away. And one night, I was watching TV and his face pops up. He had murdered three people, wrote messages with their blood on the walls of their home, and all kinds of other sick things. And when I saw it, it reminded me of when he would hang around our house. Like I said, he always had knives, so a lot of times he would wait until it was just me and him, and then he'd push me against a wall or a tree, or hold me down on the couch, or sometimes even hang me upside down by my ankles, and hold a knife to my throat and just say, Just imagine I slit your throat right now. Just imagine that this is your last breath. So, again, not as bad as others, but he was a murderer and could have killed me and my whole family if he wanted to. He's now on death row and serving life along with death. Story 10 is posted by Glitter Backpack. I grew up in America and lived around the world, including a couple years in Russia, Moscow. This happened to be about eight years ago. I was maybe 23, 24. I'm coming home from a late night out. I live near a metro station back in the apartment complex, and trains stop running around 1am-ish. My Russian is non-existent, so I'd always tell the taxi to just drop me by the metro and stumble the last 200 meters home, instead of trying to explain which of the 10 identical buildings they should drop me in front of. I do this, lurch out of the taxi. There's plenty of traffic on the road still, lots of lights on, Moscow never sleeps so I pay no mind to a big refrigerated truck parked on the other side of the metro entrance. It's idling, engine running, back open. I will not realize this until later. I'm stumbling my way past the metro entrance towards the entrance to my building complex, maybe 20 meters away when this older man, late 50s, starts walking towards me. He's gesturing at the parked truck, saying something. Friendly enough, but I don't speak Russian, so I wave him away saying, I don't understand, in Russian, and then in English when he keeps talking. Then he starts saying, something something, taxi something. I drunk yell, I don't want a taxi, in Russian as I walk past him. He's now behind me, and I'm focused on the entrance to my complex only a few meters away. Many things happen in the next few seconds. I become aware that he has come up directly behind me when he slams both his hands under my armpits and pulls me backwards as hard as he can. I'm drunk, 181 centimeters, 6 foot 1, and at the time, easily 100 kilograms. This actually saves my life, because when he pulls, instead of trying to keep my balance, I immediately fall over. Because he's yanked me backwards, I simply collapse on top of him. This allows me to scramble up first. He's snatching at my legs and treaded my tights, which I'd later discover. But I'm big and drunk floppy, and he's old and at least two inches shorter than me. I crawl away and get up. He's up too, and we literally face off. 
Now I see, behind him, the waiting maw of that refrigerated truck, engine running. Adrenaline hits my drunk ass like a brick, and I full scream in his face, something along the lines of, Come on, motherfucker! Come get me, you fucking bitch! He's panting now, taking stock of the situation. This enormous, screaming foreigner lady, who is now fully prepared for a fight, swinging a purse around like a maniac, red-faced, screaming, and the motherfucker kind of puts his hands up as he chuckles. Like how you'd laugh at a child having a tantrum. He takes a few steps back, still chuckling and saying something now gently in Russian. I back away, and the last I see of him, he's sitting on the bumper of that fucking truck, still smiling, and then I'm around the corner in my building complex, and then I'm home. Story 11 is posted by Sigs98. My parents kicked me out when I was 18, and the only thing I could afford was a super shitty apartment in a really shitty area. I lived on the second floor, and the guy below me was a psycho and also a heavy drug user. He constantly catcalled me, and he would come to my door to complain of me being too loud. My boyfriend would usually spend the night with me because he was always worried about me. And one night, I drove us over to my place instead of him coming over in his truck. He gets in the shower, and I'm walking to the living room with a basket of laundry that I needed to fold, and dropped it. It was full of towels, so it was heavy and made a thud. Seconds later, a knock at my door. I'm wearing tiny pajama shorts and a tank top. I open the door, and it's my good friend, Psycho. He starts losing his shit, saying that I'm once again too loud and this was the final straw. I tried to shut the door, but he pushed it open and threw me on the floor. He's on top of me, literally trying to rip my shirt off when he freezes. I look behind him and see my boyfriend standing there with a gun to his head. My boyfriend is licensed and is legally allowed to have a gun in our state. He calmly says, Please get up and out of my apartment before you lose something very important to you. And Psycho does just that. It was terrifying, and I know that if my boyfriend had not been there, I probably would have been assaulted, or maybe even worse. I broke my lease eight months early and got the fuck out of there. The next story is posted by Allie Catbear. When I was around four, my mom brought me to a party she was attending. Totally irresponsible, I know. She sadly wasn't the only parent that brought kids. While the adults were busy drinking and partying, two brothers around ages six and nine lured me to the pool out back and blocked the back door. They drowned me in the pool on purpose. I still slightly remember the older brother smiling with glee as I struggled. The only reason what happened was even noticed is because someone walking into the kitchen to get something saw my body floating on top of the pool and the two brothers were just standing there watching me float. No one could get out back once they realized what happened either, due to them blocking the door. My mom was panicking, trying to force the door open. Some lady went upstairs, busted out a screen, and hopped off the second-story roof to give me CPR. If it weren't for her, I'd be dead. It was winter, and I was completely blue. By the time the ambulance got there, the mother and two boys were gone. The only reason my family knows the boys did it on purpose is because once I got home from the hospital, I had a high fever. I was really out of it because I either did die and was resuscitated, or I was very close to death. My body was going through the shock of what happened. My grandparents, whom I lived with, called my great aunt, grandma's sister, to come up for comfort and support. We were all close to each other, and my great aunt was worried too. 
I guess I randomly got out of bed while my grandma and great aunt were in the living room, worrying and talking late at night. I stood up on the fireplace mantel, eyes closed, and told them exactly what happened to me in great detail, then turned around and went back to bed. It scared the hell out of them. I honestly wouldn't even believe this story if it wasn't me in the story. The next story is posted by Frick You Fricker. I've told this before, but I witnessed a murder directly in front of me when I was sitting in my jeep with the top down. Two guys were arguing on the sidewalk. I was just sitting there. They knew I was there and didn't care. One guy pulled out a homemade shank from his pant leg and straight-armed it into the other guy's eye. I will never forget the crunching sound it made when the blade went into his face. The murderer looked at me once and bolted. I ran up to help, but the guy was fucked. Blood spouting out of his eye in gushes, and he was moaning horribly. He died as the ambulance arrived. I was the only witness and nearly testified in court, but the guy pled guilty and got 15 to 25 years. I still have nightmares about that 25 years later. The next story is posted by Texan Odd. In 2014, my sister and I bought a one-way ticket from Sydney to Adelaide and thought it would be a brilliant idea, it wasn't, to put an ad on Gumtree, Australia's equivalent to Craigslist, seeking other travelers in the area to rideshare slash camp, etc. I received a text from a man called Roman. He claimed to be German and offered to take us around to all the popular touristy things in the area. Fortunately for us, our dates didn't align with his and we never met up. One year later, I received an email from a woman called Amanda from the South Australian police. She asked if I still had the messages from this man and told me that he had been arrested for the kidnapping and attempted murder of two female backpackers. A few months later, 60 Minutes produced a segment calling it the Real Wolf Creek of South Australia, where the two surviving women recounted the story of what happened to them, and it was horrific. We were so lucky that we didn't meet with him. So, moral of the story? Don't be stupid by trusting and meeting with a total stranger on the internet. I can't pronounce the username of the person who submitted the next story, so I'll just link it on the website. In 2003, I was one and a half, and my Russian grandmother was looking after me in a small village in Russia, where she had just recently bought a new wooden house. Apparently, in the middle of the night, someone sprayed gasoline on the back of the house. The house caught fire and my grandma threw me out the ground floor window to save me because she couldn't open the door or climb through the windows. She died. I was lying in the front yard for half the night and only around about 8am a lady walking her dog found me, which was hella odd because there were 10 plus houses 10 meters apart along the same road. No one said they noticed a fire. Hmm. Anyways, police didn't investigate and shut the file with the explanation of faulty wiring. I was airlifted back to Switzerland, my home country, and no one ever cared to really know what went down that night. My family speculates that someone was jealous and committed arson. The following story was originally going to be the last one, but because of the total badassery of the next story, this one is now the second last one, and was posted by N.M. Wrights. Everyone has their own nightmare in-law story though I couldn't imagine how bad mine would be. As it turns out, the worst thing wasn't my mother-in-law poisoning me. The worst thing was why she did it. 
I met Craig on one of my very rare vacations, and we had sort of a whirlwind relationship. We fell hard for each other, and were married in a courthouse within two months without ever meeting each other's families. Mine visited a few weeks later, and after their initial shock, really liked Craig. While we got moved in together and figured out married life, I got to hear more about his parents who lived near the rest of his extended family a few hours away, though we never saw them. My work schedule is rough. I work six to seven days a week, and my off days are a blur of appointments and errands. I think in the two years before I met Craig, I only left the city once. About six months later, I finally got a few days off so we could head out to visit his family. His whole family came over, and everyone seemed thrilled to meet me, except for his mom, Betsy. She was cold and distant, and could sit there without saying a single word to me. It was creepy, but I kept on trying to spark up a conversation. On our last day, he announced that we should take an afternoon hike up into the national park that their house sat on the edge of. Betsy made lunch, and I was changing to go out when it hit me. Just waves of nausea. I wound up in the bathroom for hours that afternoon. I figure it was just a touch of something and thought nothing of it. We went back a few months later and again had a great time except for Betsy. She wouldn't talk to me, though Craig brushed it off and said she was just getting to know me. He finally said we could rent jet skis the next day and explore the lake in the next town as a way to get out of the house and unwind, which made me feel better. I was so excited to tell everyone where we were going, but it wasn't to be. After eating, I got so sick I could barely walk for the next two days. At this point, I started to get suspicious. No one else was sick, and we all ate the same food. It seemed like Betsy must have been up to something, but it wasn't until our next visit when a night in a romantic cottage another hour up the road was cancelled due to me getting sick that I was sure Betsy was poisoning me. Craig said I was insane. He said it must be an allergy to something his mom used in her cooking, which actually made sense, though I never had time for an appointment to get it checked out. Still, I decided on the next trip that I'd make a big casserole and bring it with us. If I cooked the food and served it, nothing could be added. Well, I hadn't had two bites before I realized that I had left the wine I was drinking unattended while I was heating up the casserole, and my stomach was already doing flips. You know what happened next, and it was not pretty. I was so sure his mom was poisoning me, and I confronted Craig about it. I told him I wouldn't visit his family again if she was there. It was our first big fight, but he finally said he wouldn't force me to visit, and we could figure out how to best deal with the situation. She had never been nice to me, so it wasn't a loss. The next time I got time off, we decided we'd head to that little cottage we had rented before and not been able to use. We were driving right past his family's place, and it seemed rude not to stop, so we compromised and bought some pizzas. I even decided just not to drink anything, unless it was water from the tap. We got in and threw pizza on our plates when one of his cousins arrived and everyone briefly left the food unattended. I realized my mistake almost immediately and decided to try an experiment. Craig and I both had two slices, so I switched our plates while everyone was in the next room. Craig got so sick, I was really worried about him. The drive back to the city was awful. We had to pull off a lot, and he was a mess. We had been back home for three days before I broke down and told him I had switched plates. I'd never seen such anger before. The rage in his eyes is something I'll remember for the rest of my life. He shoved me into a wall and then came flying at me. 
He threw me over the couch, but I somehow managed to grab my keys and phone and ran out the door, not even wearing shoes. I got lucky with the elevator and made it to a friend's place safely, finally turning off my phone after I missed his 47th call. I had no idea what to do or when it would be safe to go home. It was the scariest time of my life. It had been two days before I turned my phone back on, and when I heard the message from the police, I drove upstate immediately. Craig was dead. Betsy had shot him after he broke into her house and charged at her with a knife. I learned that Craig had been married once before, and his wife had died on a tragic hiking accident. Craig made a lot of money in the life insurance payout, and Betsy always suspected that Craig had killed her and was nervous about letting him be alone with me especially out in the remote area he was so familiar with from his childhood. So she ensured that every time he planned an outing, that I would be sick. It wasn't easy, but she didn't think I would believe her, as no one else had ever shared her suspicions about Craig. Afterward, I found the life insurance policies that he had taken out on me without my knowledge, and refused to press charges against Betsy. She was only trying to protect me. I still visit her from time to time when I need to get out of the city. I love her cooking. This last story is posted by Atticus. Way back in 1988, I had moved to a new work location, same company, but had a cousin that lived in the new town. She was more than happy to let me stay with her until I got settled in. I had been there only a couple weeks and was coming home from the company's softball team practice on a Friday night. I parked in front of the house went and opened the trunk to get my gear out when somebody grabbed me by the hair and slit my throat. There was a ton of blood, and I had no clue what was going on. I fell to my knees, grasping at my throat, and had no idea where my attacker came from or went. So, I figured, this is how I die. Because that's what happens when you get your throat slit, right? You see it in movies all the time. But I didn't die, and honestly, I didn't even feel that bad. That was when I noticed a guy trying to break into my cousin's house. I figured that was my attacker. Well, I wasn't dead yet, and I still felt pretty good. If I was going to die, I was taking that fucker with me. I pulled my Mickey Mantle signature model Louisville Slugger out of the trunk and beat that guy until I passed out. At that time, I was less than a year out of the military and was a couple inches over six feet and just over 200 pounds. My attacker was a head shorter than me and smaller. When I woke up, I was on my cousin's front lawn. The other guy was a few feet away, not moving. I figured he was dead. I went into the house, but my cousin wasn't home. She and her mother had gone into the city to see a show and shop. So I figured I'd just drive myself to the hospital, but I only lived there a couple of weeks and I didn't know where the hospital was. No problem, I thought to myself. I'll just stop at a gas station or 7-Eleven and ask for directions. Problem there was that I was covered from head to toe in blood and couldn't really walk into a 7-Eleven looking like something from a horror movie. So I changed clothes, got cleaned up, and was ready to go, until I saw that gaping wound in the side of my neck, but the bleeding had mostly stopped. It looked like a huge, toothless, bloody clown smile. I didn't want to freak anyone out, so I put on a turtleneck and set out. I got to the hospital ER without any trouble, walked in and told the nurse behind the desk, told her that I had been attacked, my throat had been slit, and that I think I needed to be admitted. She looked at me somewhat skeptically and asked to see the wound. I pulled the neck of my sweater down and the nurse went white as a ghost, threw me into a chair and told me not to move. My carotid artery was visible, 
My attacker had missed it by about one sixteenth of an inch, according to the surgeon that stitched me up. My jugular vein had been hit, but not severed. I told the ER people the entire story. One of them recognized the last name of my cousin and asked if I was related to a certain doctor. I said I was, and that it was my cousin's father. Do you mind if I call him and let him know you're here? She asks. Not at all, I tell her. They pumped me full of blood and whisked me off to surgery. And by the time I woke up, my uncle, the doctor, was there along with his son, the attorney. There was a ton of legal crap to endure and even more legal and medical bills to pay. I'm still here, but my attacker is long gone. Oh, by the way, he was my cousin's former boyfriend. She dumped him and kicked him out of her house because he was an alcoholic, drug-addled, violent asshole. He had been stalking her ever since and saw me move in, figured I was the new boyfriend and decided to take me out of the picture. I had to share the top comment on the story because I was wondering the same thing. They asked, you say your attacker is long gone. Is that because of your batting practice or by other means? And the OP replied, he died 10 years later from pneumonia, if I recall correctly. Well guys, that's it. Honestly, there was a lot of other good stories, but I figured since I had 17 already, it was more than enough for an episode. Do you have any near-death experiences or escaping death stories that you'd like to share with me? You can send me a DM on Instagram. My handle is thatcanadianpodcast, or you can go to my website, thatcanadianpodcast.ca, and you can comment on today's episode. And I believe there's also a form on the website to email me, so you can contact me there as well. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This has been That Canadian Podcast. I am that Canadian. And stay safe out there.